0: This is The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. The series where I talk to notable people about five of their defining things. The way it works is my guests always choose a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. The reason I devised this series is I wanted to create a slightly different way to gain an insight into the real lives and thoughts of prominent people. Dr. Amantha Imber, CEO of Inventium and host of the number one business podcast, How I Work, is one of Australia's most intriguing business figures. In this conversation, I loved hearing how she rose to the Five of My Life challenge. Her wholehearted commitment to the format made it a fabulously entertaining and enlightening discussion to be a part of. So Amantha, welcome to Five of My Life.
1: Thanks for having me, Nigel.
0: Well, listen, before we get stuck into your choices... I just have to say congratulations on your podcast, how I work. I mean it, it's it's sensational. It's not the sort of thing that I traditionally uh, it's not my wheelhouse, but you've done over 300 episodes uh, and it's it's sensational.
1: Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. I mean I, I love doing it. It's just been such a learning curve you know starting a podcast three years ago and you know I I get paid to learn. So how awesome's that?
0: And am I right? it's 300 episodes?
1: Yeah, I think it's, a, it's maybe over 300 now. I don't know. I, I, I don't count.
0: <laughs> I can't recommend it highly enough. I've just listened to the David Williamson one, which was just fantastic. Now, but we do things slightly differently here at Five of My Life, and I have to thank you for taking the challenge seriously and giving thoughtful choices and thoughtful consideration to your story. So thank you very much for that. We're going to start, as always, with the film. And your choice on Five My Life is the 1988 adaptation of Iris Rainer Dart's 1985 novel, Beaches. Tell me about that.
1: So I haven't seen Beaches since I think I was a teenager. So Beaches, what I remember about it is just sobbing. I absolutely sobbed. And I will sometimes cry during during films, but I sobbed during beaches. And why that happened, when I was 16 years old, my mum was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And for those not familiar with ovarian cancer, it's a bit of a life sentence. It's not a good cancer to get. And mum got diagnosed, she was 44, at the time and had surgery. And the surgeon said, we've removed the the lump. I think it was, I don't know, maybe like grapefruit size. It was quite a big lump and you should be okay, fingers crossed, because we don't think it spread. But two years later, it had, it had spread. She got a recurrence and she was given a 25% chance of being alive in five years' time. So uh, that was was obviously a pretty crap year. I was 18, I was doing year 12, and I remember I didn't cry a lot. Like it was a really stressful time, but I don't remember crying much, which is kind of crazy given I had a really high chance of my mother dying at a, a pretty pivotal kind of age. And, i feel like beaches for me was kind of like therapy because the like one of the main women dies in beaches and i think that was the thing that actually made me realize oh my goodness i'm i'm really close to losing my mother and um like i'm very happy to say that my mom is still alive uh so that's like that's the positive ending of that story she's still with us um i think she's like 71 or 72 years old now but yeah it's weird because i'm 44 at the moment and i found it a really weird year to go wow i can't imagine being this age and i've got a seven and a half year old daughter and um and being diagnosed with a a life-threatening illness
0: but putting my therapist's hat on you you don't strike me as repressed or emotionally bottled up but why do you feel that you hadn't been in touch with your sort of uh, emotional reaction to your mum's news and it took a film to to prompt it
1: i think it was just it was just too much for me to accept i think that's one thing but secondly i don't think that my parents really let me in on how dire the prognosis was like they they were pretty upbeat i have vague memories of my mum going through chemotherapy when I was 18 years old and losing her hair. And for my mom, that's a really big deal. Her hair is her thing. Like she, she looks a lot like Cher and she used to get mistaken for Cher whenever we'd go traveling in America. Uh, so she's got like big black curly hair and she lost all that. And one of my most vivid memories from that time actually is, um, I learned to sew from a very young age, like on a, on a sewing machine, and you know how to make patterns and garments. And one of the things I did while she was going through chemo is we designed a pattern for a hat that she could wear to to cover up her bald head. And I think I made about eighty hats. And like I do, again, I don't remember the sadness so much around that time, but I do remember sitting at the sewing machine sewing about 80 hats in a several-week period.
0: And if you don't mind me asking, does once one has recovered, which I'm thrilled to hear, uh, does hair grow back or is it, oh, forever in a day you have to wear wigs?
1: No, it does grow back. So, yes, she, she's got a full hair of um, black curly hair, poss- possibly dyed black curly hair.
0: It's funny you mention how important hair is to your mum because I, 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 <laughs> my mum, God love her, who recently passed away, but uh, she would go swimming and not get her hair wet and you go how but how can that happen I mean how can you go swimming I mean you dive into the pool I and mean, that's the first thing you do and then you and then you do swimming where every stroke your hair is wet again no uh, mum can go swimming for half an hour at the sea in a pool it doesn't matter and you don't get your hair wet because that's not what you do
1: <laughs> oh my gosh how does she manage that because I hate having wet hair I should, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's the
0: English <laughs> breaststroke with your with your neck up like like a swan <laughs>
1: I'm gonna practice that over summer
0: <laughs> now, now I, I don't want to burst your bubble but can I save you I, wanna, I want you to dodge a bullet is just hold the memory of beaches and how important it is it to you in your heart and don't re-watch it because I've bloody watched it for you and it <laughs> it doesn't age well, and I think Rotten Tomatoes have gone. They gave it forty percent, and I reckon that's an that's an overreach. <laughs> Sentimental <laughs> schlock, Amanda.
1: <laughs> I'll take your advice, but I do I do love the music from it. Uh, yeah, I, I like under the boardwalk. That's still one of my favourite songs. And, and I think it, that's from Beaches, isn't it?
0: Well the, well, the big one was Wind Beneath My Wings. Oh Eyes.
1: yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's not on high rotation for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we're gonna we're gonna move from the eighties to the nineties, and I. Um, I might hold a grudge that you made me watch beaches, but I will forever and a day be grateful that you got me to read and also watch a video of a reading of Lost and Found by Oliver Jeffers, 2005 kids' book, that starts with the line Once there was a boy, and one day he found a penguin at his door. And I know it's written for four year olds, but I thought it was enchanting. Can you tell us why you have chosen Lost and Found?
1: Oh, my God. So I'm a massive Oliver Jeffers fan and I discovered him when I read uh, The Day the Crayons Quit, which he illustrated. It's such a charming children's book. And then I basically, I, I just bought every single book that he's written for kids. And Lost and Found, I just think, is such a beautiful story. This boy finds a penguin on his doorstep and the book is all about how he tries to return the penguin to where he came from the North pole, but then the penguin is, is a mute penguin as I guess most, most penguins don't speak English. And then the boy realizes once he reaches the North pole, that actually all the penguin wanted was company. And so yeah. he goes back and rescues the penguin. And I just, I, I can't read this book without tearing up. Like I'm not getting emotional. I was, didn't get emotional talking about beaches, but I'm feeling myself like very emotional thinking about lost and found and look for me I was actually never a big reader as a child um much to the disappointment of my mum who's she's a clinical psychologist but she's also a writer and uh and, and just a massive bookworm and it was kind of when I I guess probably in my 20s is when I discovered a love of reading and and now I you know I feel like one of my distinguishing characteristics is i'm i'm such a bookworm i'm just so happy reading and for me having having my daughter frankie just instilling a love of books and stories with her is something that i just think is so important and such such a valuable gift for a parent to give and so from a very young age um myself and my now ex-husband we we always read to Frankie at night that is that is a ritual like i can't think of a night that i've had with Frankie where i haven't read to her and um and, and lost and found really really signifies that and now like now that she's she's getting older she's going into grade 3 next year and she, you know she's becoming a good little reader herself we now we've evolved the routine where i'll read to her and then we do a thing called uh, Q&A time, which is about asking each other questions to just promote curiosity. I think I got that tip from Adam Grant as a good way, a good little routine to get into to just, you know, promote curiosity. Not that Frankie needs any help in that department, not that most kids do. Um, and then we do silent reading time where I'll bring in a book that I'm reading and Frankie will read to herself, although it's generally she'll read out loud and I'll try to block out the noises. I'm trying to read my book. but. Yeah, I just think reading's just the best.
0: Now, now you mentioned your mum was a clinical psychologist, Mm. Uh, but you are as well, aren't you?
1: I'm an organisational psychologist. So a clinical psychologist is probably what most people would think of when they think of a psychologist, someone that is working one-on-one with people that are going through a really difficult time. They might have um, some sort of mental health uh, issue that they're generally doing, like talk therapy, if you like. Uh, but an organizational psychologist helps people be better at work, um, perform better, be happier at work, get more joy from their work. And that's what I do.
0: But but I, I find you a terrifying self-improver. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I find it exhausting just chatting to you because because you, you mentioned you're, you're always on the lookout for tips which means you must be a, a a fabulously efficient person but i think i'm just a bit a bit more stupid and lazy
1: but you do but you do respond to every email that you get nigel i do
0: every single bloody one Thirty thousand in the last 10 years that they've all got Jesus. a reply gosh so yeah, so, so did you ever think that you might overthink things or or not
1: <laughs> uh, At the risk of criticising my guests, <laughs> did I ever think that I would overthink things? That that's like such a meta question to think about, isn't it? <laughs> uh, no, I, but, don't I mean, know. Ju- I mean, I
0: mean, just just generally. So, so I think, I mean, I've got four kids, and I read them all stories, but 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 we never had Q and A, and quite you know, I I, I sort of my, my reading was sort of slightly less impressive than yours. But <laughs>
1: Uh, I think I do, but then I'll also think like with regards to parenting, for example, like I think so much about work and my work processes and, you know, strategies and tools to improve the way I work, but then I'm like, but hang on, I need to apply the same discipline to parenting because there's no more important pursuit on this world. And and then I'll sort of beat myself up for, you know, not being like a perfect and inverted commas parent who doesn't, you know, obsess over how can... How can I optimize my child's life? But yeah, but I know that that's ridiculous. I'm aware that I'm saying things and I'm sounding like ridiculous. Well, well,
0: I'm here to help you get in touch with your inner mediocrity. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to rebuild you. Uh, now, no, we're going to move to the 60s. Uh, and you've chosen the, just a fabulous song that everyone craps on about the Phil Collins version, but it's the original girl band version that's the best, which you've chosen. Hey, Can't Harry Love by the Supremes? Diana Ross knocking it out the park. Uh, Tell us why you've chosen that on Five of My Life, Amantha.
1: I tell you what, when I was going through the five things to choose, song was the hardest. And I think because I am a musician, there are so many songs that, um, you know, mean so much to me or have played a role in different parts of my life. But I think I got inspiration when I was was trying to think of a, a song to put forward Spotify had kindly summarised the songs that I'd listened to most in 2020. And 2020 was, I guess, like a, a pivotal or a seminal year for me because in August 2019, I'd separated from my husband. And I mean, 2020 was obviously a seminal year for, for you know, many people thanks to the pandemic, but like I'd I'd moved to a new suburb, I'd moved house, um, you know, I was adapting to life as a single parent, and I kind of I looked with interest at what Spotify had put together, and that song was on it. You can't hurry love, and like I just I love the song. Like how how can you not? And as does Frankie, and you know we'll we'll play and sing that together on the guitar, and Frankie will accompany me on the tambourine.
0: There you go and- again with your <laughs> terrifying overachievement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you heard if you heard it, you'd go. No, that's not really overachieving. <laughs> that's that's quite ordinary. Um, but um, but I, for me, like the the song is all about having patience. And one of my I was about to say one of my goals for 2020. Oh my God, stop with the overachieving and the goals. Um, but it was a goal. Uh, is to try to to try to bring more patience to my life. I tend to, you know, like once I make a decision, like I tend to act quite quickly, and I and I get sort of really impatient when things move slowly but i realized that that patience is a really important skill that i'm still trying to learn and i think you know when i think about patience in you know the context of love and you know trying to find love again like post post post-marriage um you know it's this is gonna sound stupid but it's like it's so different to pursuing work-related goals like with work you know, I've become deeply aware that it's like if I have a work goal and if I work towards it and dedicate time towards you know, making progress towards that work goal, I'll probably achieve it, or at very least I will make objective progress. But when it comes to finding love, you sadly can't apply the same logic. Like a lot of it is patience, some of it is luck. And that is something that I Struggle with and that I'm trying to learn. So that that song really resonates with me because it's a lesson that I'm trying to work on.
0: Are you on the apps, the old bumble hinge, whatever?
1: <laughs> Intermittently, I am on the apps because, uh, yeah, meeting people face to face was tricky being a Melbourneian over the last couple sure. of years. It,
0: it's an interesting, like a catch 22 where in matters of the heart, you know, authentic connection and blah, 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 is it. It's not just not like work; it can make it less likely. If, if you walk into a pub or a nightclub or a restaurant and say, "Hello, I really want kids and marriage," who would like? You know, people be sort of running, screaming for the hills. Whereas if you, you know, it, it's almost like the less effort you make, the more chance one gets. I mean, I'm talking about a certain age. Not, not so. so uh, I, I, have you got horror story? I mean, don't tell them now unless you want to. But have you got horror stories of, of idiotic men that you meet on on awkward first dates?
1: Oh God, yeah, I've I've got a few horror stories. Like I've been on quite a few dates. There was one guy I connected with quite early on and he was, um, I remember when we would we, text message, we text messaged initially when we connected on the app and at the end of every message, he would put like a little rose icon as if, like, I was, a, you know, successful contestant in the Bachelor, like progressing to the next round. Oh, of that's papers. what you
0: think. You're projecting, Ember. <laughs> you are projecting. That poor bastard was just being nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but then, but then it turns out, right? Like, he's defining himself as this very successful businessman, okay. and so we we make a time, you know, in between his like, you know meetings with like Europe and the US and blah 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 to have like a video chat and in the meantime like my google skills have have gotten very very good like finding people with just a first name and occupation i'm i'm your person if you need to track someone down and i did i did find him online and it turns out he committed all this fraud, like he was wanted for like <laughs> highly criminal activities in his business operations. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I matched with? Um, but um, but, but, but for the most part, it's <laughs> it's been a positive experience. But I tell you what, one thing that does make it easier dating in your 40s compared to your 20s, which was the last time I dated, is that I just remember one of the things that I think led to to you know several bad decisions in my 20s around who I dated was just that um you know again like coming back to patience it's like i knew i wanted to have a child in this lifetime and so like all like a lot of your decisions are kind of predicated on having a biological clock as as a woman and perhaps not making particularly good decisions because of that sense of urgency but i think one of the things i am enjoying in my 40s dating is it's like there's there's no there's no hurry. So in that sense it does make it easier to be patient.
0: I am slightly loathed to to ask this question but but it genuinely intrigues me. Are you able to talk to what you think went wrong in in the marriage and 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 was it a good split a bad split are you still best mates like many of my mates they've got these fabulously successful blended you know uh, families and other people they can't stand each other's guts and blah 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 but uh, give, give me the safe the safe to air version
1: i guess um in terms of why the marriage ended it's a funny one because there was nothing there was nothing objectively wrong in that there was no abuse there was no like addiction or substance abuse issues there were no affairs like there was nothing that you could kind of go that's why that's why I did it but I think it was just the culmination of many years of, of really questioning whether well how compatible we were in terms of what we were striving for in life what our values were in terms of deciding whether to leave or not it would have been different if we didn't have a child but right towards the end when I was getting clarity on on what to do and I and I asked myself, well, if Frankie didn't, didn't exist, would I leave? And the answer was 100% yes. But then I asked myself, well, is this the relationship that I wanna be role modeling to my daughter? And the answer was no. And, and, and just asking myself, I think better questions really helped bring me clarity on on what to do. I mean I think for anyone that is thinking about or does end up leaving a relationship where there's not this big objective thing that is broken and that other people can look at and go oh well you have to leave. Like I personally think it's um it's it's a hard decision and it's a brave decision and I and I feel really proud of myself because I think it's something that I did that took a lot of guts and it's and it's been a good decision.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad it's working It's working for you. And thank you for talking to that. I know that might not be the, 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 the cheeriest uh, topic to investigate. <laughs> um, now, now, before we move on to your next choice on Five My Life, I have, I have to mention the Spotify playlist because you mentioned that Spotify told you that you've been listening to You Can't Harry Love, blah, blah, blah. Is If you go on Spotify and type in whatever it is, the Five My Life podcast song choices, it's utterly unique because unlike what the algorithms do in every other case, they say you liked you can't have re-love so listen to this is the spotify playlist is your favorite song will be different to julia gillard's will be different to john eels will be different to kevin rudd's so you've got like a five hour playlist for a long car drive or whether you're mowing the lawn that is the opposite of what the algorithms give you
1: so there actually is a five of my life Spotify playlist uh,
0: and there will be on it in the next 10 minutes uh, you can't hurry love from the <laughs> Supremes <laughs> my dentist God Lover plays it in her surgery because oh my god it's sensational you, you've got an electronic <laughs> choir piece from Anya Hindmarch and you've got some heavy metal from the Commando Steve and, and <laughs> now you've got you can't bloody hurry love from Amantha oh <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh i'm gonna i'm gonna get that playlist that's awesome
0: for your fourth choice uh, I, no, I'm going to test you out. Here we go. Because you've got the brain the size of a small African country. But I reckon I might know a word that you don't know. Do you know what a metonymy is? No. Brilliant. So on five <laughs> of my life, I mean, I, mean, I, I want to do this until I die. I, I'm so committed to five of my life. And, and there's three things I want to do. Entertain, educate and elevate. OK, That don't tell anybody. That's under the radar. So, so it's a very sort of a... You know, I'm sort of underplaying it, but I actually would like some people, beyond being entertained, to actually learn a few things, but without making it self-helpy. You chose Broadway, and because I do my research, I watch the films, I read the books, I listen to the songs, I researched the 53-kilometre road that goes from the financial district on the southern tip of Manhattan to Sleepy Hollow, literally Sleepy Hollow, it's called Sleepy Hollow in Westchester County, New York but that wasn't your bloody choice because you were using Broadway as a metonymy and, <laughs> and metonymy. You think you're clever, but I'm giving you a new word. So meto- you can have it for free in your in your professional work man so There you go. So metonymy is when you use a word to describe a concept that is referencing something that's close to it. So if I say the White House has gone to war with Iraq it's not actually the White House. It, it's, it's America. Yeah, if I say the crown is displeased by Meghan, it's not the headdress of the Queen. It's, it's the royal family. So when Amantha Imber on Five of My Life chooses Broadway, she doesn't mean the bloody street Broadway that I've researched, <laughs> wasted all my time. You mean the theatre district.
1: <laughs> I do. Metonymy. How do I spell what, what metonymy? What a great
0: M-E-T-O-N-Y-M-Y. You're welcome metonymy <laughs>
1: thank you <laughs> overthink that <laughs>
0: anyway but so back to the metonymy of broadway why did you choose broadway
1: if, if i could go traveling anywhere right now and not and not catch some horrible variant of COVID, i i would go to broadway and i would consume lots of musical theater so i, I often say like if i wasn't doing What i do now for work if i wasn't an organizational psychologist i and if i had like the talent of a triple threat so singing dancing acting i would be a star on broadway that would make me so happy or if i didn't have that talent i'd be a theater critic whose job it was to just watch um musical theater productions and review them so i i love theater i particularly love musical theater i'm such a musical theater nerd i know um way too many lyrics to way too many songs um but i I think for me theater theater was something i got into in a big way in high school i remember year eight was when i like i had a lead role in a school play and throughout high school i was really shy at school you know like even putting my hand up to ask a question in class would make me very very nervous and you know i would hate recess and lunchtime, because it would mean having to um, talk to people. Uh, You know, I'd much prefer to just lock myself away in a toilet cubicle. Um, But I felt like it was in theatre or drama class that that's, that was where I feel like who I really was started to come out. And I loved doing acting and I loved doing plays because I felt like it was someone giving me permission to talk. And people kind of had to listen because you know I was on stage and that was really novel for me because I was too shy to talk because I just didn't think that anyone really wanted to hear what I had to say so you know I then went on and um, you know did a lot of improv and theatre sports for for a few years like from when I was about 16 to my early 20s and again I just I credit theatre with with helping me come out of my shell and giving me this confidence that I really didn't know that I I had inside me, and and now like so much of my work is performative. Like I, you know, do a hell of a lot of keynote speaking, and you know, the the podcast that I host, how I work, has a performative element. So, yeah, I kind of what, I wonder what direction my life would have gone in had I not got involved in theatre.
0: That that's such a lovely story. So so what a wonderful impact on your life, and and in a way, it's a great bridging step from you don't think you've got a right to a voice but you do think you've got the right to voice other people's content because it's a play and then you've morphed into now when when you're on one of your platforms you're you're doing your own content so you've evolved to not only uh, i can be on the stage and people looking at me and i'm the center of attention but you can actually be you know very successful businesswoman and very successful podcast. But lots of, that's your own content. What a lovely sort of chrysalis story that that theater had that effect on you.
1: Yeah, that's um that's an interesting insight because i got I got so into theater, right? Like I always knew I wanted to become a psychologist from when I was a teenager. But when I discovered theater, I thought, actually, no, I think I want to be an actor. And what I really wanted to do when I graduated from high school, is audition for one of the big acting colleges like VCA or, or NIDA or WAPA. And and my parents, they were internally freaking out, but I didn't realize this at the time. And they, they said, okay, well, let's make a deal. Enroll in a Bachelor of Arts and you can do your psychology major and do a theater studies major. And then after you finished your BA, then if you still wanna audition for acting school, you can. And at the same time, like you mentioned your dentist before, I, I had the same dentist from when I was a child to quite recently, he's just retired. And I remember seeing him when I was, I would have been like 18 or 19 years old. And he was telling me that he had like a few actors that were his clients in his practice. And... They'd all gone through stages where they couldn't afford dental work because acting doesn't pay very much. And I thought, oh, God, like, because I'm so obsessed about dental hygiene because I have a phobia of injections in my gums. So I'm sort of avoidantly motivated to, you know, just brush my teeth really well and avoid fillings. Um, But I then found out, like about 20 years later, it would have been that my parents told him to tell me that <laughs> to, try, <laughs> to try to dissuade me from being an actor. That is,
0: that, that is the wonderful version of, oh, I don't know if this is apocryphal, my grandparents telling my mother that the sound that the ice cream van makes means it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they're playing Greensleeves. They've sold out again. <laughs> no, on five mile off, are you ready for another piece of education
1: Here oh please please, do, please.
0: Do, do you know what on broadway means uh
1: is that a trick question
0: no it's not
1: oh sorry no i do it means the size of a theater That's, is that what you're yes it's yes, got nothing to do seen.
0: with yes
1: nothing it's to do with the street
0: so do you know what off broadway means
1: i think it's is on Broadway more than 400 that,
0: that, it's more than 500 it's off Broadway 500. is is between 100 and 500 and off off Broadway which i thought was miles away from new york it's got like brooklyn nut, yeah, yeah off off Broadway can be on Broadway but it, but it's yes. an autonomy it's not <laughs> it's not a literal thing anyway we're going to move to my favorite choice on five of my life Uh, which is the Possession, Uh, and you have chosen, uh, I loved researching this, you have chosen a a guitar that is from a world-famous brand based in Melbourne, set up by Ray and Bill May. It's the guitar of choice of Neil Finn and Paul Kelly, so you're in fabulous company, Maytone 325C guitar. Why have you chosen that?
1: So I've had this guitar since I was, I think, 16 or 17 years old. So... It's the possession that I've had for the longest. And when I, you know, when I think about what would I rescue if my house was burning down, uh, like, it, it would be the maiden. It's kind of like, obviously... Uh, my after da- Frankie. My <laughs> daughter, <laughs> you know, Before or after, I don't know. Um, uh, no, no, no. But in all seriousness, if, like, I'm talking about material, physical possessions that are, that like, a, a non-living or breathing, it, it would be that guitar. It's, it's really the only thing that I own that I just you know, yeah, I I don't think I could replace easily. So I didn't realize this at the time, but the school that I went to was a very musical school. So I just thought it was incredibly normal to, you know, for every year, like from prep or grade one to be studying an instrument and, um, you know, like learning it, taking, you know, regular classes in it. And so I think, you know, by the age of 16 or 17, there were probably, I don't know, five or six instruments that I could play to like a grade one standard and guitar was something I had a few lessons in guitar but I'm actually largely self-taught and now while I abandoned my dreams of becoming an actor what happened during my undergrad studies is that I I was you know I I was doing a bit of acting and kind of feeling a bit disillusioned with the idea of being an actor and having so much of your success be based on what you look like and I'd actually turned to doing more writing, so more creative writing, like script writing and screenwriting. Um, and then I became frustrated with that because it's, you know, it's so hard to actually get your work performed. Uh, and then for, for whatever reason, I'm like, well, maybe I'll try songwriting. And I think at the time I had a broken heart and it seemed like just a really good therapeutic outlet to write songs. And then combined with that, I, I went on I started, um, I was doing my honours year in psychology and that's a horrible, horrible year. Like it was, it was the hardest year. It was harder than than doing my doctorate or, or PhD. Um, I was like, I was always looking for just ways to procrastinate, basically, from the horrible task of writing a thesis. And so I started writing songs, and that kind of helped with some of the heartbreak that I was dealing with. And then, and then I think it was during my doctorate that I'm like, okay, I need like a serious procrastination thing here because the like. The doctor. It was hard work. And so I thought, and at the same time, I think I saw an ad in the, the newspaper for producers, and I thought, why don't I give them a call and pay for them to record some of the songs that I was writing. And, and so I did that, and then I think we recorded like a, a four-track demo that later turned into a 10-track album, and then like being, you know, the ridiculous type a personality that I am, I'm like, well, I've got this 10 track album. I guess I need a record label, <laughs> <laughs> um, as you do. And so I got, well, I don't know if this exists anymore, but I got the Oz music industry directory, which is like the yellow pages for the music industry, or at least it was. And at least like every manager, every agent, every record label, every publisher, and so I got that and I, despite being quite musical, I didn't have particularly broad musical taste in terms of what I was listening to and I didn't know the names of many bands and artists. So I went through all the record labels in the book and I circled the ones that I knew, some of the bands or artists that were on the label because I thought, well, if if I know them, they're probably quite a big label. And so there were about 10 labels and I thought, okay, I'll send, I'll send my, you know, 10-track demo slash album off to all these labels and see if they, you know, want to represent me, oh, so bloody naive. I think I was 21 at the time. And uh, and I got a few rejections back. And then I remember I was, I was driving to the car park. I was literally parking at the Monash Clayton car park and I get this phone call. And the guy on the other end says, hi, it's, uh, it's John here from Roadrunner Records. And I said, hi. And he said, I've been listening to your album all morning I've played it for everyone at the label and it's completely polarized people people either love it or they hate it and i know that music that polarizes is what sells when can i meet you (laughs) wow
0: wow wow wow. this story is going to go in a surprising direction because you're talking to me and i know you're not lady gaga so what
1: (laughs) (laughs) so what happened so i met with john a couple of weeks later and, and he's like, where have you been? Why haven't I heard of you? And I'm just, I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Probably because I'm not a, a real musician. Um, and, uh, and anyway, so he's like, you know, I love this. I, I want to sign you. Um, but first I need to see you play live because we make the majority of our uh, money from artists on, you know, them touring and playing live. And so he said, so have you got a band? And I said, yes, even though I didn't. Um, and he said, so have you got some gigs coming up? Because I'll invite the whole label down to your next gig. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've got some gigs coming up in the next few weeks. And obviously I didn't because I didn't have a band. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, so I'll just let you know when the next gig is. And he said, yeah, great, and I'll invite the whole label to come down. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh fuck. And so anyway, in the next few days, I... I think I just reached out to a bunch of friends and I'm like, you know, I, basically I needed a guitar player, bass player, keys player, drummer. So I needed to find four musicians very quickly and also get a gig. And I can't remember what came first because I did get a gig. And I think it was at, um, I think it was like the Yarraville Hotel, um, random. And I, I managed to cobble together a band and we did some rehearsals And then you know i said to john oh yeah i've got a gig coming up and they all came and and that they're like yeah yeah this is this is great um don't quite know about the band but you're great so let's like you know let's let's continue and so anyway spent the year basically working working with the label um also got a manager as well again through the same the process of was music industry directory do i know anyone they manage um he turned out to be an alcoholic um so i got a new manager and it was it was probably one of the most miserable years of my life where i kind of i realized a few things like firstly i realized it just became so little about the actual music and it, and it really my love of writing songs um sort of gradually diminished throughout the year and I also realised that like so I ended up getting a new band um which was mostly session musicians so people that whose job it is 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 to just play music on generally other people's albums and at gigs and things and the musicians that I met I mean like music was literally in their blood like they they could not have done any other job except music. And I felt like such a fraud because for me, music was just this hobby. Like really, psychology was the main thing. Music was just a really good way to procrastinate and not write my thesis. And it was just something that I thought was a bit fun. I felt really weird about the fact that I was, I was the one with this record deal and, you know, the one at the front of the band kind of pretending I knew what I was doing when the people behind me, like, Metaphorically and literally, were the ones that really got music and had it in their blood, and I didn't. And it's a really, it was a tough industry, and and I remember having this conversation with John um, sort of towards the end of that year, and he said, like, you know, <clears throat> Amanda, the expectation is that that you'll be on tour for eleven months of the year, so you're going to have to start making some sacrifices in other areas of your life, and and for me that meant giving up psychology, and. That was, that was the thing that, that was in my blood and I was not prepared to give up. And so at the end of that year, I ended up walking away from the deal.
0: Wow. It's fascinating listening to you. One of our other guests on Five My Life, a chap called James Valentine. I don't know if you know him from the, the mm. ABC yeah. uh, DJ. He, he had a actually quite a successful career as a, as a rock star. Um, and he said it took him years to recover his love of music. Because mm. the, the process, so, so he didn't make the decision you made. He did go and do the tour, you know, around America and whatever else. And it's not all rock and roll, you mm-hmm. know, excuse the metonymy. It, it, it's a brutal, <laughs> bloody, you know, you can't afford your gum work. And, and you have to play the same sax solo every single night for 233 nights in a row. So I'm glad the world of organizational psychotherapy didn't lose you. And, and and do you still gig can the five of my live listener base go and catch amantha strutting her stuff or is that has the guitar been put away
1: god only in my living room so i did i did gig quite a bit during my 20s after i walked away from the deal and it was fun it was just gigging for fun and i was still writing quite a lot as well i had no idea it was literally trial and error and somehow i just kind of flute some 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 good chord progressions and lyrics you know that um you know that people liked but but i just i'm stunned that i was able to do it um but yeah funnily enough like i i love playing the guitar and singing for fun now but what i realized when again like in the process of leaving my marriage is that for for the time that i was with my ex-husband we were together for about 13 years i think all up i barely touched the guitar and I certainly didn't write any songs. And since being on the other side of that marriage, I, I mean, yeah, I, I would be picking up that guitar at least once a week, if not more often. Um, and it's just, it's just been so joyous to, kind of bring music back into my
0: life like that Wow well it's, it's been just a, an absolute treat for me to, to listen to your choices and the stories behind them on 5 My Life I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and taking the format seriously that there is one final question which is uh, I've got to stop asking my guests uh, in a certain way because it reveals if they have or haven't listened to other episodes because <laughs> <laughs> the guests that go oh that's a surprise clearly haven't bloody listened Um <laughs> do you know what the sixth question is?
1: I can't remember because I have listened to your episodes <laughs> oh. before, but I haven't for like a little while.
0: Ah, there you go. Well it's the sixth question, which I take very seriously and, and we follow them all up. Doesn't mean they all say yes, but lots of them do.
1: Oh, I know what it is. I know I just remembered. Like who would you like to see on the show?
0: That's exactly right. Who would you like to see on the see, show and and why?
1: I would say Lynn Manuel Miranda. So I know that it's really trendy to like Hamilton. And so he's the guy that created Hamilton. Um, But I liked it when it wasn't as trendy. I just need to put that out there. So I think in 2017, so I saw Hamilton on Broadway quite a few years ago um, with half of the original cast. And in the lead up to that night, which was a hideously expensive ticket for a very bad seat in the theater, I think that like literally for a whole year, The only musical sounds that I listened to through my headphones was Hamilton. I listened to Hamilton and only Hamilton, uh, all the songs in the the show. Yeah, that was it. That was it for a year. So I'm just, I'm such a fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda. So please get him.
0: So this is, you're going to think I'm making this up, but I, I promise you this is true is Kate and I went to see that last night.
1: Oh, did you? In Sydney? Oh, for, for, what for, did you th- for the first time. What did time. you think?
0: I think maybe because of all the hype. Uh, I, you know, I didn't see it in 2017 on Broadway. I, I saw it in the Lyric Theatre in Sydney in 2021. And I thought it was nice.
1: <laughs> oh, Nigel, no.
0: Have I, I? And I worry that I haven't got a heart, or I haven't got a soul. But, but uh, I mean, clearly, Lynn Manuel Miranda is a chuffing genius. And and the you know, I went home and I googled, you know, Alexander Hamilton and blah blah blah. Yeah. But the truth is, uh, yeah. But hey, it's not it's not the five of my life. It's the five of your life. We're gonna wish you lots of love with those gums on the dating apps going to try and hope that you do less overthinking but keep up with the overachieving Uh, and we love you amantha i think everyone should check out your wonderful podcast how i work try and track down embarrassing old copies of your album (laughs) and i look forward to um catching up with you in 2022 but but thanks again i really do appreciate it
1: oh thank you so much for having me nigel this has just been so fun so 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 fun so thank you
0: Five of My Life was presented by me, Nigel Marsh.